0: Good. Last week we uh, studied, I gave you kind of an overview of the the actual history of Hanukkah, but today I want to look at some of the um, spiritual teachings about Hanukkah and about the menorah, and um, they're really beautiful, Um, and my source primarily for these teachings is My still my favorite book of uh, Hasidic teachings, which is called The Language of Truth by um, the Sfat Emet. Uh, I'll tell you again who he was. Um, Sfat Emet means language of truth because Jewish authors for many centuries have taken their kind of pen names from phrases in sacred texts. Uh, and so Sfat Emet means language of truth. The teachers actually um, uh, was the, um, oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Um, he uh, was the Gerer um, Rebbe in the late uh, 1800s and early 1900s. He lived in Warsaw mostly, and he was active teaching from about 1870 to 1905 when he passed. And he was a wonderful teacher uh, who my teacher, Art Green, decided to excerpt and translate in a volume that I've used for many years. And one of the reasons Art choose, chose to use the Svat Emmet is because he lived in the late 1800s in a very modern city. Um, he, he was on the cusp of modernity and uh, his many of his teachings are are a little easier for us to grasp for that reason, because there's, he's got a foot in the uh, 20th century, as well as being utterly committed in uh, to traditional n- description. Yeah, Yehuda um, uh, uh is the person. Thank you, Ellen. That, Ellen just put that in the chat. So in that volume, Art translated uh, some teachings about Hanukkah uh, by the Sfat Emet that I'll use as a um, launching point for uh, us taking some excursions. And um, what I wanna do is I'll share my screen. Let me open up that document. Hold on a minute, please. Okay, just a sec. I wanna open up this one. And this one, I hope we get to both of them at least a bit. And then I'll share my screen in a moment. Great, okay. Um, So one of the things I want you to know in preparing to um, look at these texts are that not only mystical Jewish teachers, but rabbinic teachers from the Talmud. So going way, way back into the early Midrash, the metaphor of light, of course, is so compelling. And so there are two phrases in the book of Proverbs, which is one of the books of the Torah, that become kind of um, core, core texts for exploring light both as an external lighting lights, and also as an internal. And one of those phrases from the book of Proverb is uh, chapter six, verse 23. The phrase is, Kinel mitzvah mitzvah Torah or, which means for the mitzvah, the commandment is a ner. Ner means both candle and lamp or light because um, remember the menorah was originally an oil lamp, not a candle um, uh, lamp. So, so the Mitzvah is a lamp and the Torah is the light. And so that's just a beautiful phrase that you should keep in mind. And then the second one, which comes later in Proverbs is, Ner Adonai Nishmat Adam. The human soul is a candle of God or a lamp of God. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? That's also from the book of Proverbs. So we have both the act of doing a mitzvah as a lamp from the Torah light source, and that the human soul is a lamp from the light of God. I just wanted to lay those out to you. And I also wanted to make, I forgot to say the bracha. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, our God, sovereign of the universe, who makes us holy with your commandments and has commanded us to engage in words of Torah. So now with those texts in the back, let me share this teaching from the spot Emmet with you. Um, friends, is that visible and large enough or should I make it larger? Okay, seems okay. We're gonna be reading from over here. The Hebrews over here for anyone who likes Hebrew. My grandfather and teacher quoted the Gemara that says, wicks and oils the sages said not to use to light Sabbath lamps may be used for the lights of Hanukkah." Okay, so he's taking what is in the Talmud, a very technical discussion over what kind of wicks you can use for Hanukkah lights. Remember, because these are oil lamps. And in a time when oil and wicks were um, how you made light, getting a good wick was a wick that would burn evenly and steadily for a long time. A poor wick would be one that might skip or just go out or be crackly, right? That would be a poor wick. And so um, the same with the oil, you wanted really good burning oil for for your Shabbat lamp, your Shabbat oil lamp, this is before candles, but, We know good quality candles and poor candles also. So we know what it's talking about. We've seen candles that sputter and burn down right away. And and we've seen candles that just burn evenly and steadily. Uh, So there were high standards. This line comes from the tractate and Talmud that is describing Shabbat rules. And then it takes a digression and says, but on Hanukkah, you can use wicks that are not good enough for Shabbat. Okay, that's the line. And now it opens up to spiritual uh, interpretation, right? To, not just to pract- practicalities. Um, now, one of the reasons, practically speaking, is that your, the, the instruction, Shabbat candles, were used for light in the home. Whereas it's made clear in Jewish law from the Talmud that Hanukkah candles, you're not supposed to use, you're supposed to just enjoy. Actually, that as far as I can tell, and I think I'm right about this, is the origin of the shamash candle, the helper candle. Because in typical rabbinic fashion, If you have one candle that's not dedicated to Hanukkah use, which are prevented from using, then you can use that one. And by the way, the other lights will be lighting too, but you're not using them for your practical needs. So so that's partly the origin of the shamash candle is so that there would be a light that was not dedicated so that you could use it for your own illumination of your, uh, what you need to do as well as just enjoying them. Okay, enough about that. So what's the Sparameh gonna do with this line that says that wicks that you can't use on Shabbat, you can use on Chanukah? This he explained refers to the impure souls within Israel. Okay, impure, don't take it as a big value judgment. Pure burning oil will burn steadily and completely Impure oil will have imperfections in it and uh, skip and go out. Okay. And then he does a word play. The word nefesh, soul, which is made up of these letters, nun, pe, and shin, stands for ner ptila shemen, lamp, wick, and oil. It's a beautiful thing. So our soul is a combination of The oil that is the divine source of our being, the the energy of I am that I am, the inexhaustible source of of life. The wick is the way that that energy gets translated into the flame that is our consciousness, our, our being. So it actually, it's a beautiful, I really like this, that, that the soul is a combination of the inexhaustible oil of life, the translating capacity we have to wick it up, and then our ability to burn, to show the light in the world. That's beautiful. That's what our, that's what our soul stands for. Now, those that cannot rise up on the Sabbath. Because, oh, hold on a moment. I want to get your your faces down there. If I can figure out how to do I almost know how to do this. Ah, there we go. Right, there we go. Now I can see the chat. Thank you. All right. Those that cannot rise up on the Sabbath. Those wicks, those, those of us wicks that can't quite do it on Shabbat because the light skips in them and the wicks are not drawn up, they can be brought up on Hanukkah. Thus far my grandfather's teaching. So he shares his grandfather who was his teacher and that's the teaching he remembers. Um, And I'll jump ahead to one of his points which is in arts commentary. Every Jewish soul is kosher enough to be a candle in God's menorah. And I'll go back, I'm gonna read this and then go back. This is our holiday, one that became sanctified only because of our actions, not by original divine intent. For this sort of holiday, no one needs to feel inadequate or insufficiently holy to participate. It is interesting to note, says Art Green, this is his commentary here on the Svad Emmet's commentary here. It is interesting to note that such Hanukkah and Purim Jews existed already in the Warsaw of the 1870s when this teaching was given. Jews who were not holy when it came to observing the Sabbath every week, still showed up at the Rebbe's for the lighting of Hanukkah candles and were given a chance to warm their soul by the light of his teachings. I found that context very uh, useful. This was true also in uh, late 19th century Warsaw. So, and it's, it's true, Hanukkah is very accessible holiday, isn't it? You don't have to worry about all the rules. You don't, it's like a lot of Jews like Hanukkah menorahs. There's something very accessible about Hanukkah and that was also true in the 1870s in Warsaw. They'd show up. Okay, so that's that's also context for Svadimit's teaching. Now I wanna explain, I wanna de- go deeper into the, 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 the um, foundation of that understanding. These holidays of Hanukkah and Purim belong to the oral Torah the three festivals God gave us are commanded expressly in the written Torah. God gave us those holy times sanctified since creation for all was created through the Torah. Those biblically ordained festivals bear witness that the blessed Holy One has chosen Israel and is close to them, giving them his holy testimony and the word Mo'ed used for fit these festivals Is related to edut, testimony. But Hanukkah and Purim are special times that Israel merited by their own deeds, and I alluded this to this last week. These are called oral Torah. They are witness that Israel chose the Blessed Holy One rather than God choosing us. Um, Okay, I'll stop. I'll pause there for a minute to unpack that. Again, for those for whom this is new territory, the there are holidays ordained by God in the Torah. It's like they're just commanded. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Passover, and Shavuot—the three pilgrimage festivals—along with Shmini Atzeret, the last day of. Um, Sukkot. Those are called the biblical, the, those are the biblical holidays, and they have a category of being sacred days, mikra kodesh, days that, have, that the Torah sets aside, no work shall be done in your settlements, and you shall rejoice before Adonai, your God. So, and of course, the other one that's repeated over and over again is Shabbat. Over and over again, more than any, any other holiday, in the um, Torah, Shabbat is commanded upon us. It's in the 10 commandments, we're gonna say. Nothing could be more direct from the source than the 10 commandments, not even mediated through Moses, Shabbat. That is a, a holy time that comes from min from heaven. However, Hanukkah and Purim are not commanded in the Torah, by God anywhere. Chanukah, we know from the book of Maccabees, which we we looked at last week, is declared by the Maccabees and accepted by the people. It's a humanly ordained holiday. Purim is declared by Mordechai and Esther in the book of Esther. It's not decreed by God. And so, but it is also accepted by all the Jews as a holiday. So Jewish spiritual teachers love this dichotomy. And the idea that I began with that, um, like the soul of a person, the human soul is a light of God. The mitzvah is a candle and the Torah is light. Um, the, The nefesh, is that which connects us to God um, through the wick and the light that we shine. So Hanukkah and Purim are in Jewish mystical terms, holidays where the divine light is aroused above, is aroused from below by human action. Whereas many of the holy days, their light descends upon us and we receive it on these holidays, we light the lamps and that arouses either from above, imagine, you know, from above or from deep within the point, deep within the place where infinity and uh, our experience meet. It turns out we can arouse and draw in the divine light, just as if we all accept it as our duty, just as the uh, Torah gives us Shabbat and holy days, which we just enter into and receive if we're able to. So that's the dichotomy. The, the not the, the, yeah dichotomy um, of ways to arouse holiness, ways to arouse light that. The, the rabbinic tradition, and especially the mystical tradition see, which is really beautiful to me because what, it, what it's saying is that, um, is that it's, it, as is true in all Jewish mystical understanding, our relationship to the infinite is about flow. It's about the flow of infinite light into creation, which then manifests if we become vessels capable of manifesting that infinite light through our candle, the candle of our souls, right? But because it's a flowing system, um, if we light the soul, our own souls, it arouses the flow. In other words, if we can light our candle, then the wick does its job and wicks up more of the infinite light into the finite world. And that's why the nair a candle is a mitzvah is compared to a candle in Hasidic teachings. Because when we do a mitzvah, we are lighting a light. We are are drawing divine energy into the world. And the human soul is compared to a candle also, because when we let our light shine, when we expand our awareness, when we share the light of ourselves, we are kindling and therefore waking up into into our world, the infinite light that actually is the source of all light. In Psalm 36, it says, in your light, we behold light. You know, so there's an understanding from the beginning that we are but little, we're just little candles. Um, But our flame, where's it fed from? We're not the source of our energy. We have to become the conduits of our energy of that divine energy for the world to experience the light. And in the process, we bring more divine energy into the world because we're wicking it up. And Hanukkah and Purim are days that we decided in Jewish history that, that 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 light was gonna shine. And so they are both in a strange way, more important than The or at least equally important to the biblically ordained, divinely ordained holidays. And they show us that we're capable of arousing divine energy and bringing it into the world. Um, I'll get to Paul's comment in a moment. So Hanukkah and Purim are special times that Israel merited by their own deeds. And these are called Oral Torah. They are a witness that Israel chose the Blessed Holy One. Um, I, didn't even, I didn't even pretend to go to work today. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I love this line. It's it is audacious. We're the chosen people, no? Somehow, through no particular merit of our own, the divine light chose to reveal itself to us. Well, maybe it's not so simple. Maybe this works only because we also choose the light. And I love that, that is um, so clear in this teaching. Uh, Israel are joined to God and their God and their deeds, arouse God, for here, they're capable of creating new sacred times by their deeds. And because these holidays were brought about by Israel's own deeds, every Jewish soul can be restored through them. Every single Jew can find a way of belonging and attachment to them. Because this is a humanly ordained sacred time. The Svadhemet is teaching, just like our queen explained in his commentary, that basically there's no excuse. There's no rationale anyone can have to say, I don't belong in this. I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. Um, I, 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 just, I just, it just can't be me because It was just human beings that created it and uh, brought it into being and are restored by it. So you too can light your little candle and be through these holy days that are humanly declared, be um, restored no no matter how your wick works. Shabbat, okay, I get it. Shabbat, it's like, there's a lot of rules for Shabbat. You have to do, you have to give up a lot for Shabbat. You have to offer yourself. You have to, but Hanukkah, just light the menorah and you will arouse the divine light and anybody. Everyone is pure enough to do that. So that is one of my favorite One of my favorite teachings. Um, I have another one to share, but uh, I thought I'd pause for a minute there. Paul Bloom said, I had heard Purim was the first holiday where revelation comes from within, not prophetic, more like a novel. Well, that's another way of explaining it um, uh, that it's uh, coming from within, but with the understanding that the origin of inspiration. Um, we can arouse it through our actions or it can be given to us by grace. And, uh, but it's all the same nefesh, all the same oil, wick and candle. Did it get lit from below or above? You know, there's uh, there's this, do you remember this episode in, um, um, let's see, it's, oh, right, in the book of Numbers. So they have built the altar, everything is set, and the uh, Aaron goes in, does everything just right, and a fire comes down from heaven and consumes the altar. He doesn't even light the fire, Aaron. He just got it all ready. And one of the rabbinic teachings about that is the people say, we can't hold a candle to that, right? That divine light, it's like, forget about it. And the teaching is, no, no, no. You have to bring your light so as to arouse the divine fire. It's absolutely connected. It only The divine fire came down only because of the inner passion and flame that Aaron brought to the activity. Um, so I really, I really appreciate that. Now, let me share. Anyone else have any any uh, comments or questions? Yeah, Warren. Hold on. Hold on, Warren. Do you see how you have to unmute yourself? Do you know how to do it? I asked you to unmute. They. Okay. I hope. Now you go. So I want to come back to the idea of uh, nefesh, the nun uh, pei shin. Mm-hmm. But what I don't see in the formulation yet is where is the match? Is human agency the match that lights this up? Because otherwise, it's it's out there, but there's nothing to make it happen. You know. Right. What That's what the presumption. Is. That's the presumption. Okay. That- we we light the flame,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that wicks up, that brings divine uh, awareness <laughs> into the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. And the flame, the, the match, really is the fulfillment of mitzvot. Mm-hmm. By doing a mitzvah, you are lighting the candle, and that's the phrase "kiner mitzvah." For the mitzvah is the flame. Yes, it can be inner desire also. Of course, when we say mitzvah, we're not just talking about good deeds. A mitzvah, many mitzvot are in the category of adam between one person and another. Those are the mitzvot we're most familiar with. All the righteous actions that are part of the Jewish system of ethical behavior. You perform one of those, you're lighting the match. You're lighting your wick, right? Um, and the flame burns brighter. And the flame burns brighter not because you're using up your energy, but because you are summoning the infinite energy. And um, uh, you know there are many teachings, both Jewish and otherwise, that say sharing your candle flame with others does not diminish it. And this is in this is in the um, uh, uh, midrash about uh, th- that I was this this is, this is from Bereshit Rabba. Rabbah. Um, doing mitzvot does not leave you lacking because you're not giving from a a limited source. You are in the Jewish understanding by sharing your candlelight, so someone else can light their light. It's a beautiful visual metaphor for what it means to give of goodness and righteousness and love. You don't run out. Love is something if you give it away, you end up having more. That's um, uh, Malvina Reynolds. Um, so I love that metaphor too. So this act of lighting your candle through either a mitzvah that is between yourself and another, the other kind is called between yourself and God. So there are mitzvot such as prayer which are not something that you're giving to someone else. It's something you're doing to arouse the flow into you, to, which will, again, by um, by tending and preparing your inner altar in that way, allows you to be a much more steady flame as you give as you perform its vote between yourself and others. So when you think most people because of the colloquialism in Yiddish, do me a mitzvah, which means do me a kindness or a favor. Think that a mitzvah is a good deed. A mitzvah is a good deed. A good deed is a mitzvah, but a mitzvah is more than a good deed. A mitzvah is also everything you do Mm -hmm. to awaken, arouse, draw up, draw in, draw out the divine flow of light into the world via your flame and your wick. And God only exists in potential in human affairs. It is up to every human to train ourselves to be wicks for for that infinite oil in order to shine, shine God's flame into the world. Our consciousness is a function of being servants of the divine in that sense. We are serving the infinite energy by becoming vessels and vehicles for its expression. And that is the spiritual understanding of how it works in Jewish metaphors. So there are three levels of replenishment in the mitzvah. One for the individual who undertakes the act. One for the object of it or the community at large, and third for the individual's relationship with yud babhay Is that a fair... Well said, Warren. Okay. Well said. Because we are conduits. And so we benefit from a well-tended uh, flame. Everyone around us benefits because our flame isn't diminished by sharing it with others. That's not how flame works. And God, as it were, benefits because otherwise that energy doesn't get used, doesn't get manifested in human affairs and human consciousness, even if it's everywhere, which it is. But human beings, because we've been given consciousness and free will, we have a job to do. And God chose us and we choose God in order to fulfill our our divine calling. Beautiful stuff, isn't it? Um, Paul said, are you in fact building up fire of divine energy as opposed to just an egoistic action? That kind of self uh, um, um, evaluation is crucial and is part of what it means to tend your flame, right? One has to, I'll call on you in a second, Susan. Um, And Deborah Deborah says, I like how this transcends the notion that one does good deeds to get God's approval, right? Which is the more uh, mechanistic um, brownie point um, uh, version of religion, that's right. Instead, we offer goodness to connect with divine energy. And again, it's that understanding that's why we're considered God's partners because God needs us to fulfill this in order for God's desire, which is to be manifest as light in the world, to become manifest. Uh, so it's a much more um, much more systemic and less kind of hierarchical in that sense, uh, way of understanding um, our relationship. Um, Paul says, is Sabbath a time of rest to cultivate and build up divine fire. That's a beautiful way of expressing it. Thank you, Paul. Um, And Robin says, this seems like one of the most important lessons ever. Yes, bears repeating. We'll come back to it. Thank you, Robin. Um, Now, Susan, what did you wanna share? Um, Well, I'm wondering about somebody who's in a state of depression and it's not like they want that or they're choosing that. But they're somehow not getting the light, and you know they're they're like in the in darkness. They are in say. darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it so, I mean, how how can that be explained in in the terms, you know, in the uh, terms of Torah? You know, why is God not sending them the light? Oh, God is always sending them the light. The light mm-hmm. is. The light is waiting. So we don't have to blame someone for having gotten stopped up by either internal or external obstacles because life is very challenging. And um, uh, so, you know, the tendency to blame someone for why don't you just cheer up? Um, We don't have to interpret it that way but we also are talking about a, div- a God who is not um, willful um, and saying, hey, how come you're not shape up? You know, that's one version of God, but this version is not a divine will, it's a divine desire. And those, that's a crucial distinction that somehow built into Godness, in this understanding, is a desire to share. You know, the thing. The, as much as the calf wants to suckle, the cow wants to give milk, right? Um, so that's that idea of desire. But how do you get someone to suckle when they are, they don't feel like they deserve it? And depression is a a real, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible conundrum for human beings. So my thought is that's when everyone has to bring their candle flames around to tend that person's wick until hopefully there's the flow resumes in their, from their infinite soul into their conscious being. I'm gonna read a few more. Uh, Blaze said, and isn't the mitzvah for or with between another human being or animal, also a mitzvah to God, our relationship to God? How we are with others relates to how we are with God. The fire goes everywhere. Yes, the distinction I'm making between a mitzvah between oneself and others, and the mitzvah between oneself and God is an interesting and important way that Judaism divides up these, these these categories of behavior. But when we're conscious that the divine energy resides everywhere and a mitzvah that we do for someone else, we're doing for God because we're arousing the flow of light wherever we go. So we do it within, we do it without. And then of course, mystical consciousness is when we reach a point where we don't even know where within and without are, we're just participating. And there's no ego at that point. That would be a kind of illuminated state. Um, But in the meantime, people like me need to spend time tending my own flame so that I can be a good light to others. So for my purposes, the distinction is useful even though I understand Um, intellectually and occasionally I experience that it's actually all the same. We're all arousing the light. Um, Many people, many creative people have said their creation has flowed through them. Yes, yes. And Blaise said, if we are all children of God, brothers, sisters, then everything goes to God, not to get approval, but in order to complete the circuit. Right? If our ego interferes, whether in self aggrandizing or self abasing ways, we can't do our job, which is to, I bet there's only use the word compost, you know, which is to take all this good stuff, digest, compost it, give it back so that more can grow. You know, there are besides, we're talking in light images because it's Hanukkah, but there are many, many earthy images we could also use to say, Yes, our sense of being either self-contained or utterly limited or useless are both opposite sides of the same coin of of our ego thinking that it's all up to us and that we can't do it or it's too much for us or it's only up to us. All of that is crap. Um, The accurate description in all spiritual teachings and certainly in Judaism is that it's not up to us. What's up to us? It's not, as it says in the Talmud, it's not up to us to finish to, to finish the task. But we are also not free to desist from it. We are participating in an ever-present, ongoing flow of trying to bring awareness and goodness into the world as channels. Because when you light someone else's candle, your light doesn't diminish. Right? Light increases. That's why the light metaphor is so beautiful. Um, It's an, Rob says it's an infinite feedback loop between beings and God precisely. That is a perfect definition of the Kabbalistic um, way of describing the divine human relationship. That's a, it's an infinite feedback loop. If we don't participate, or if we participate with limited in a very limited way, We interfere with the feedback loop and God therefore cannot be manifest in our world. So we have this holy job to do, which brings us back to Hanukkah and Purim, which the rabbis hold up as an example of when humans did the job of lighting the light. And in so doing restored the feedback loop. Sometimes it comes by grace. Other times it comes by our in t- total intention. Um, Lay said, I have sometimes thought of depression as a spiritual crossroads. Yeah, depression's a real, depression's a real bear, what it does to us because it denies, it denies us by making us feel isolated and worthless it denies us precisely of the attributes we need to conquer it, and uh, yeah. And how do we get across that crossroad? And Blaise said, "Sitting in with the shadow of dark can lead to God." That's right. Some of us have learned that we have to stay in the stay in the darkness and wait with faith for the light that, but that with the faith that the spark has not been extinguished, but that we're just not experiencing it right now. The energy of love, says Paul. Blaze says, when Parker Palmer was depressed, a friend came to him and washed his feet, didn't try to change him. Yeah, he said, hey, I've got my candle here, hi. And it is a feedback loop, energy is everywhere. And Ellen says, "And it's like praying to be a resting place for the Shechina, and we are simply, and we simply are kinder all around. The Shechina, the divan, another beautiful and crucial metaphor in Jewish understanding. The Shechina, that aspect of God which we experience being with us, as opposed to being beyond and all around us." Susan says, "I agree with what plays typed in the chat." that sometimes being in a dark place can lead to God. Yes. And may it be true for everyone who's in a dark place that it leads there for them. Paul says the shit of your life becomes fertilizer for your garden. Absolutely. As long as we don't stay spiritually constipated. And I think that's a really good metaphor. Spiritual constipation means you're not, look, the good and the bad, the painful and the exalting, all of it is our fuel, right? If we don't have the courage, which is frequently the case, to allow the crappy stuff to flow through us and then dissipate, then we become spiritually constipated. So being afraid of our pain and not to, oh, please, I don't mean that, I don't never wanna be judgmental, uh, in, in the way I express that. But being afraid of our pain and, sh- and, and, and walling it off is a way of becoming spiritually stuck. Nobody said this was easy. Actually, some people do and you'll pay them a lot of money until you realize they, they're, they're, they're full of shit. Um, but you'll never hear that from me. It's easy sometimes. And then it's really hard a lot of the time. Paul says, I live with a psychiatrist. Depression is never easy. Be careful what you ask for. No one's asking for it, Paul. uh, Yeah, I understand. Rob says, spiritual diarrhea on the other hand. Okay, how far are you gonna go with this? I love fart jokes too. (laughs) Spiritual diarrhea is another good metaphor because Okay, I'm gonna go with it. In the mystical tree of life, the divine flow, which is called Chesed, which is unbounded, loving, gracious energy, does not become manifest in the world until it flows through givura, which is the container. And so there are plenty of us And I've met many, especially in the spiritual um, subculture, who eschew boundaries in favor of just flow. And um, there's a giant problem with that because I think of the boundaries as a healthy ego. A healthy ego knows one's limitations and knows oneself. And therefore a healthy ego tries to channel the love in ways that are going to serve ourselves and those around us. That's a good wick, right? If it's just pouring out of us, how do we run our lives? How do we know when to say no? How do we determine? Now I know there are those of us who who might hold visions of spiritual illumination um, and enlightenment where it's all one, and we don't need these limitations. When I get there, I'll tell you. In the meantime, I know I need them. Yes, Meg? It's just thinking, going back to the uh, nefesh, you know, the um, oil, the wick, and the lamp. That mm-hmm. In fact, you know, that that sense of the lamp is that gvora, because when the light comes and fills a lamp, it's more than just the one flame, it's, it's contained, but it attracts, it, it, it illuminates more. Whereas if it's uncontained, it's like a wildfire. It's destructive, exactly. An uncontained flame is destructive uh, and will do as much damage as good. The metaphor of a flame, I was thinking, I meant to say this before, is also so beautiful because you, s- it's there and you feel its heat and you feel its light. And, and yet it's, what is it? <laughs> what are you perceiving? What is a flame? This evanescent um, um, manifestation of what? And so I love the image of the, of the flame also as a way of saying, you can't, you can't, you can't bottle it. You can only offer it. Mm-hmm. No, you can't quite grasp it. Uh, if you do, you'll get burned, you know, or you'll or you'll you'll douse the light. So you have to somehow allow it to burn. Ellen was saying sometimes depression just blocks all the doors and windows, no exit, no way out. Even if we know the light is there, we often can't access it. It's true. And again, anyone who has suffered through those experiences. Um, I just, I just hope that uh, that the light has found its way in, um, back into your being. Should light be a cosmic simmer? Paul says, keep working on that, and then we can do some recipes too. What's in the, what's in the pot? <laughs> uh, so isn't that beautiful Hanukkah teaching? That's what I wanted to share with you. I didn't get to the second teaching, but that's okay. It would have just have amplified the direction we've already gone. And I think we actually covered it in our, in our exploration. Oh, Ruth, I'm so glad you appreciated it, so glad. <sighs> Next week, we'll actually turn our attention back to um, the, the, the Torah portion but I wanted to do Hanukkah teachings uh, uh, during Hanukkah. Ellen Weaver said, our friend Rabbi Sheffield Gold said, let the flame be kindled within me. Let my love burn bright. I hunger for your light. Amen. I'll stop the recording.